Hello again and welcome to the Llama Podcast. I'm Peter Bowes and Llama, Live Long and Master Aging is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Now imagine adopting a fasting regime to lose weight. You shed more than 80 pounds and then decide to continue fasting because it feels so good. Not just being lighter, but the process of fasting, going without food, sometimes for several days, feels so stunningly good, you decide to keep fasting indefinitely. Well, Phil Libin is doing just that. Phil is the CEO of All Turtles, which is his new venture and artificial intelligence startup studio. Phil, of course, is better known, for the time being at least, as the co-founder of Evernote, the productivity app sometimes called your external brain, cloud-based data storage that is hugely popular around the world. Now, fasting for weight loss and long-term health is a topic we've discussed here a number of times, starting with the five-day so-called fasting-mimicking diet that I've tried myself. You can listen to episode one of my conversation with Dr. Walter Longo to hear more about that. Some people do 36-hour fasts, 72 hours or even longer. And of course, there's the 5-2 diet that's become popular, especially in the UK. Well, Phil Libin's experience errs on the extreme side. And as he says himself, he does nothing by heart. I hope you enjoy our conversation. We met at Phil's new office in San Francisco. Phil Libin, welcome to the Lama Podcast. Thank you. Very kind of you. Great to see you. Are you fasting today? I am not fasting today. Uh, in fact, this whole week has kind of been a heavy food week. I've got like way too many like important social eating things, but uh, I'm really looking forward to next week. I think I can get a few a few good days of fasting in next week. So as I mentioned, we're in your new office. You've just been here for a few weeks. This yeah. is all turtles. All turtles. Tell me about this. Uh, well, we're a, a, an AI startup studio. Uh, we're in San Francisco, Tokyo, and Paris, and we're basically a new way for people to build AI products without having to go through all of the uh, rigmarole of worrying about setting up little companies and startups. Just focus on making the products first. And, of course, I mentioned Evernote. You've moved on from Evernote, but it's still a huge part of your life. I don't want to talk too much about it because we've got a lot of fasting discussion, but Evernote, how did it change your life? Uh, well, we, we really just try to make something for ourselves at Evernote. We wanted to make a product that, that we would love, that we would use. We wanted to be smarter, better organized. I'm generally a pretty disorganized person, so I kind of wanted to make something to get my life together, and uh, uh, it worked really well. It was a, a super good team that I'm proud to have been a part of for, for almost a decade. Tried to make a company that would be important to you know, a few hundred million people, and, and hopefully we've at least done that. And of course, you, you still use it right now? Oh, I use it daily. Yeah, I live in it. And me too. I mean, I'm reading from it now. It, it has become a huge central part to my life, and I, I think it's absolutely a great product. So thank you. Love that. But uh, I'm interested in your life while you were at Evernote. That's when you became famous. That's when Hardly people famous. will, well, famous to a certain audience, shall we say mm -hmm. that. And people will have read about you, they'll have seen your photograph, and mm -hmm. you had a certain image. You were a, a larger guy, yeah. you had a beard then. Yeah, exactly. And I'm curious, did you at that stage, and we're going back a few years, did you care about your health? Uh, I cared, I just didn't really do much about it. I basically told myself very early on, I kind of made this really bad idea rule where I said, you know what, I'm not going to worry about any of this until I'm 45. But as soon as I turn 45, I'm going to like take my health really seriously. And I, I probably decided this when I was like 20. Uh, and, and honestly, in the back of my head, I'm like 45. I'm never going to live that long. Uh, so I just thought this was like a good way to avoid all responsibility. And uh, so, yeah, I was, I was fat. In fact, I was I, clinically, I was obese. I, my BMI was, I think, above 35 at one point. 
And uh, I always kind of said, yeah, yeah, when I'm 45, I'll figure it out. I had tried several times to lose weight and, and, and I had lost weight several times. I'd done a few different things where I'd drop, you know, 20, 30 pounds on whatever diet because you can do that with anything. And then, but then it would always come back within like three months. And uh, yeah, I was uh, unhealthy and uh, fairly unhappy about it, but not really doing much. Do you regret, I mean, that indicates that you do regret it. You regret having that attitude as a younger man? No, it worked out great because, you know, I turned 45, I took care of it. So, ah, so it plan, went for you. Yeah, plan, plan, love it when a plan comes together. But if you had your time again, would you take more notice of your health? Yeah, I mean, had I, had I known about fasting... I would have just been doing that all along because it's so awesome. There's no reason for me. There's no reason not to do it. So, yeah, you know, it, it never even occurred to me, though, that, that, that that was a thing. So I was just doing all of the traditional things that you're supposed to do, you know, Crush low diets, fat diet and exercise and all that stuff, which doesn't do anything for weight loss. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just wish that I hadn't read about all of the nonsense that you're supposed to be doing and not done any of that. And instead, done the thing that's actually easy and seems to work pretty well so what happened to get you into fasting i was having coffee about uh seven eight months ago so you know i was about to turn 45 uh and uh, i was about to start a new company and i said okay well now i have to take this seriously because uh if you know i've been telling myself this for 25 years so if i don't actually take it seriously i'll never be able to believe myself again and i wanted to kind of get in shape finally before i can like start a company i wanted to prove that i can govern myself before i undertook the task of actually running a company again so I started, you know, dieting and exercising, and that wasn't really going anywhere because it never does. But, you know, I kept at it for, for a bit. And I had coffee with a friend of mine, Loic uh, Lemire, who is actually the, the CEO of one of our uh, studio companies here of Leaders. And uh, Loic is always, like, he's on the cutting edge of the zeitgeist. He hears about all the new stuff. So, like, he's the guy that, like, got all of San Francisco into, like, meditation a few years ago, back when that was legally required. And, uh, and he said, oh, I haven't eaten for three days. I'm fasting. And I'm like, what? You're doing what? He said, yeah, this is thing, you fast. And he told me about, I forget where he heard it from, but it's got all these benefits and you just don't eat. And I remember thinking, like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, it's obviously terrible for you. You're just like, you're like, I can't imagine you're doing this. And which is probably what most doctors would say to you. Yeah, absolutely. And so I went home and I like Googled it and I was reading about it entirely with the, with the intention of just like proving to Loic what an idiot he's been, he was being. So I just read a bunch of the literature thinking I would like see him the next day and be like, look, like this and this and this and this, you're just wrong you know, go eat a sandwich. But as I started reading about it, I read a bunch of the new science and including Dr. Longo stuff and a few other things. And I was like, wow, this is actually plausible. Like this kind of makes sense to me. And so I thought, well, let's try it. Let's just, just to see what it feels like. Cause if like Louis can do it, maybe I can do it. So, so I tried just not eating for three days and like, and you did it cold turkey, cold turkey. Yeah. I like doing things like if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to like half-ass it. So the first day, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. All I can think about is food. And then the second day, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. All I can think about is food. And then I woke up in the morning of the third day. I'm like, I feel amazing. Like, this is better than I've ever felt. I feel clear. I feel, like, happy. I'm not hungry. Like, day three felt amazing. But I was still, like, just very anxious to, like, eat something. So, you know, I ate at dinner of day three. And I'm like, huh, that was actually not nearly as bad as I thought. And actually felt pretty good at the end. Uh, and, think- and this is a complete fast. It's water only. Uh, water and, and, well, no calories. So I was drinking so like black, black coffee, coffee and uh, like tea without anything in it. Yeah, and water. And then I just started reading a ton more about it and doing more and more of it and doing different different versions and different techniques. And that was about eight months ago. And it's been amazing. And so you did it for three days to start with. Mm-hmm. How long did you leave it before you repeated it? I think the next week I was doing like the... Uh, 
the I started doing the like only eat within an eight hour window, the intermittent fasting stuff. And then I then I like went another day and then probably like three weeks later, I did another three day one. And yeah, and then just, I did all sorts of all sorts of like different trials while like reading about it, talking to people, looking at the research, measuring myself. I started getting also all sorts of like quantified self stuff. But you were generally trying to you were kind of making it up as you went along, maybe a, a three day or a five day or an eight day with mm-hmm. a little bit of uh, 16, eight in, in between times mm-hmm. yeah. just to see what felt right for you. Yeah, just to see what felt just yeah just out of interest to see what felt good uh the effects were really strong i mean but i i didn't expect to stick with it uh but you know i was losing weight because you know you don't eat you lose a lot of weight it's just how it works so i was definitely losing weight and i felt great how, how fast did the weight come off fast i mean I've, i'm down i'm down 86 pounds i think in whatever it's been seven eight months uh it's pretty fast you know i was losing a few pounds every week and you know gaining some of it back when i ate but then not never gained back as much as I'd lost. And then I thought everyone was saying, oh, but you're losing, you're losing all this muscle. It's not really fat. You're like burning muscle. And I thought, well, that doesn't really make any sense. Why would your body burn muscle when there's fat? Like, isn't that what fat's there for? Like, I, don't, I didn't understand the metabolic like pathway that would cause you to burn muscle or bone or whatever people say. So I started doing DEXAFIT scanning just to see. I mean, luckily, like I'm in San Francisco. So any, any questions you have, you can answer. Uh, and and then, also seemingly a little crazy in San Francisco, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Right. Everyone's, everyone's doing something weird, so it's easy. So you have a big dinner and I don't, you don't eat. No one, no one thinks twice. Um, so, yeah, I just did that. And uh, so far, I am not an expert, but the effects on me have been really dramatic and positive. And at this point, I'm fasting not so much to lose weight. I'm at the weight I want to be. Uh, I'm just doing it because I really like it. Uh, it just feels great. So, Just explain a bit more about that because I know what you're talking about because I've, I've experienced that kind of mental euphoria, that mental agility that you get after a, after a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And I think ketosis is a big part of that when you start burning fat for energy as opposed to glucose. Mm-hmm. But describe the feeling. Well, there's several things that, that there's, there's several feelings that happen. Um, one is I would say there's a feeling that I would characterize as almost like a light euphoria, like a mild euphoria. It's like sustained. The closest I'd come to it is I remember this really interesting experience. So a few years ago, probably like five years ago, uh, I had had this surgery. It was minor, but um, they had to give me, they couldn't put me under completely because they needed to be be awake because I had to like do some stuff while they were were doing stuff. And so they gave me uh, some local anesthetic and then they gave me some like you know, industrial strength painkiller. Some I don't know. I don't even know what it was, but it was my, my first time taking like some like heavy duty opioid like professional painkiller. And I remember like lying on the operating table like under this painkiller with like doctors like probing me, and it, it like it was just an exploratory thing. And it turns out they didn't find anything, so everything was great. But it could have been a serious thing. So I remember like lying on the table like under painkiller with like doctors like rooting around, you know, inside of me, which maybe they find something really bad, and it was. You know, in some ways it could have been like a really bad day for me. But I just remember thinking like, oh, my God, I have never been happier. Like, this is the best day of my life. I feel amazing. And I remember telling the doctor, like in the operating room, like, doctor, doctor, like, I feel great. Like, whatever this thing is you gave me, like, I've never been happier. This is amazing. And he was like, yeah, don't get used to it. You're never getting this again. And I genuinely felt euphoric and happy, even though I knew like I was I was lucid. I knew what was going on. I knew it was just a it was just a painkiller that was doing it. But I felt amazing. And I never had that experience again because I never took it again. But I remember thinking, wow, that's all it takes. Like, you know, I can see why people like this. And fasting, when you're on yeah, day two, day three, day four, day seven, like I get a mild version of that. It's like a mild version of like, I'm just pretty happy and like pretty, 
clear and everything's okay with the world. And even though like all the same bad stuff that's always happening is happening, like it just kind of seems okay. Yeah, it's that. It's that. It's like it's that at like two percent of what it was like, you know, being an opioid, but you know, hopefully better for you and, and more sustainable. And do you feel that your work is better, that you can sustain mental agility for a longer period of time, that you get more done? I definitely feel that way. I haven't tested that. You know, I haven't done, I've done a lot of the, like the, uh, the physical quantified testing. Uh, I haven't done like the cognitive testing just because I'm not really sure how to do that. And a lot of the ways that people do it seem like bullshit to me. So I couldn't, I couldn't tell you for sure that I'm more productive or more focused, but it definitely feels that way. And did you talk to your doctor first before you started any of this? No, but I talked to my doctor while I was doing it. And he was like, oh my God, that's terrible. You have to eat seven meals a day. It's really bad for you. You should stop doing it. And I'm like, okay, it's just a random thing that you just said that you heard somewhere. Um, show me, like sh- explain to me what's wrong with it and show me the results that are bad. Uh, and he couldn't, you know, we did the blood test, we did a full battery test and he looked at it and he's like, wow, all of this stuff, like he compared it to what I was three years ago because I did like a full battery of, of like super detailed stuff three years ago just to like get it all. I did wellness effects, like the full like pro athlete level just because I wanted to the data and I showed it to him. And he's like, yeah, on, on, on all of the major stuff, you're like 20 years younger. He's, I still think it's a bad idea, but I can't like, I can't point to the places of like, I can't point to a result and say this is going in the wrong direction. But, but could he quantify why he thought it was bad? What about it could harm you? Well, so it was all it was all the stuff that you read about how it's like, you know, you're going to be burning muscle and, and uh, uh, you know, your body starts to eat itself. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. I think that's kind of what you want. And that's that's what it's supposed to do. And honestly, I just think like when I challenged it, I think he actually he's a super smart guy, obviously, you know, much smarter than I am on healthcare and medicine stuff. And uh, I think when I pushed back, he kind of realized that, well, it's just received wisdom. And so he said, okay, look, just like, be careful, like come in more, make sure you get enough to drink, which is all like solid advice. Uh, but he hasn't tried to discourage me because he said, look, it looks like this is working for you. So the, the, the data are the data, but the, the inclination was you shouldn't do this. And just to talk in more detail about the, the body eating itself idea, I, I, this is autophagy that you're essentially talking about, which yeah. you could phrase it a different way and say the body is, is rebuilding itself. It's, uh, dead and uh, dying and useless cells are being thrown out and then you grow new ones. Your body is doing the thing that it evolved to do. Yeah, exactly. You know, fat is there for a reason. Well, I shouldn't say reason, but... You know, we put on fat so that we can use it. Like, the, as long as you're fat, you've got energy. This was like, when I decided to start it, I had basically two realizations that made it okay for me to start. Like, this is how I justified it in my head. I said, first thing is, fat people don't starve to death. Like, if you're going to starve to death, you need to be really, really, really skinny. Like, you see pictures of people that are literally starving, and they don't look like you or me. They don't look like, you know, the people that we interact with. Like, they're very visibly you know, emaciated and skinny. So you don't see like fat people starving to death. You can't do it. Now it doesn't mean you're not going to die of other things, but like literally if you have fat, you have energy. So I kind of realized that like I've got all this fat, I can use it. I'm not going to literally starve. Uh, and then the second thing was that the feeling of hunger, and I knew this already, I just didn't, I knew it, but I didn't realize it. I didn't grok it. was that the feeling of hunger isn't cumulative. Like it doesn't build up. You know, it's not like, oh my God, it's been four hours since I've eaten and I'm starving, which means that if I don't eat for another 40 hours, I'm going to be 10 times more starving. I'm like, no, you're not. In 20 minutes, you're not going to be hungry again. It goes in waves. It's all waves and it doesn't build up and it doesn't accumulate. And so once you like ride it out, it's fine. And so when I realized like fat people don't starve to death and hunger doesn't build up, or at least the feeling of hunger doesn't build up. I'm sure it does once you're actually starving, but that's going to take a long time. Yeah. 
literally like I would have to not eat for like nine months to like to get to that level. Uh, then it made it okay to try. I'm like, this isn't actually hurting me. So, and it's only unpleasant in waves. So let's do it. Let's try it. And then it turned out it was actually, it got to being, I would say right from, right from the beginning, it was, it was really pleasant, but the first few times it was both pleasant and unpleasant. But then in a short period of time, all the unpleasantness went away and it was just pleasant. So like right now it's just like all positive, no negative. In the beginning, it was like both both positive and negative. And I think we should say, just after this discussion about your doctor and the conversations that you had with him, we should say that if anyone is considering this, the best advice is to speak to your doctor and to take medical advice because fasting isn't necessarily good for everyone and it could be dangerous. Absolutely. And and I'm definitely not giving people advice about this. Like I have, I am not an expert. I don't know what I'm talking about. I can talk about my own subjective experience and that's it and me too i'm not the expert but we certainly in this podcast reflect what people are doing and new ideas ideas that uh, to a huge number of people and maybe we're getting into the the social aspects again here Mm -hmm. seem incredibly extreme that you should be doing something like this it does it seems nuts but it isn't and um i kind of liken it to so uh i'm completely like physically like uncoordinated i'm terrible at all sports i was born without the gene that makes you care about sports so like i just never never was interested in it never played any sports just do not care never did any i was like i'm a dedicated endorsman like i just do not like doing physical activity for the most part there's some things that i like and uh i remember when i was like in my 20s like i kind of got tired of all my friends and my peer group they were all into you know they were snowboarding or whatever and they would talk about it and they all had their various extreme sports i never did anything and so i just decided like on a lark that like i'm gonna skydive and i remember i picked skydiving because i was like i don't think you have to do anything i think you basically just like obey the laws of physics and don't freak out and it's fine and so it takes very little effort i mean unless you're doing like super advanced acrobatics but if you're just falling out of an airplane like all you need to do is like fall don't freak out and you're fine and um it takes basically don't have to do anything. Uh, it's super safe because I looked at the actuarial tables. I was writing insurance software at the time. So I knew the stats. It's like skydiving, you know, it's much safer than infinitely safer than like skiing or like playing football or something. Uh, so I'm like, it's a safe thing. It isn't bad for you. It's super easy. Just don't freak out. And it seems extreme. So I started skydiving. It was great. Actually, it's super fun. Like the adrenaline rush you get is amazing. doesn't take really any skill. I mean, you can you can certainly do things with it if you're skilled, but you don't have to be. And then I would, people would like, in conversation, oh, what do you do? Oh, I skydive. Oh, my God. And like, we got a lot of respect. And so I'm like, oh, this is the best, like, no effort required to like how much like cred you get for being extreme you get, you know, that you can get. And so to me, like fasting feels the same thing. Like, you literally, you don't actually do anything. Like, just like skydiving, you don't do anything. You just like fall in fasting. You just don't eat. And it's easy. And it doesn't really take much skill. Or willpower, honestly. Like, I don't think it takes much willpower because it's pleasant, at least for me. I don't perceive it as a willpower exercise. I would, I would say, though, I think for a huge number of people, it, it would take a considerable amount of willpower that most people are not prepared to, to give. I think it's the same willpower as it takes to jump out of an airplane for the first time. I think it's mostly psychological. It's like you've been told and you really believe that this is a bad idea. And you just have to be like, you know what, brain? Like, just going to do it anyway. And it turns out it's not that hard. So and if you want to phrase that as willpower, sure. But I don't think it's like a sustained willpower. Like people say, oh, when you feel good about it, it must be like runner's high. I'm like, well, okay, I don't know. I've never had runner's high because I don't run. But my guess is in order to get runner's high, you have to like actually run and like 
extend a lot of energy and it's like hard to get there. Like you, you have to like really work at it to have it. Fasting is not like that. Like once you realize that you don't do anything, then it's not hard. You don't do anything and it's not hard and you get the benefit anyway. So it's like, to me, it's like in terms of uh, effort to benefit, it's kind of amazing. It's like skydiving if you just want bragging rights. What's interesting about what you're doing is clearly you've lost the weight. And have you pretty much got to where you want to be now? Yeah, uh, I'm within I'm within about five pounds, uh, which uh, so at this point I've, I've, I've had to shift to figuring out how I can keep fasting without losing more weight. So the reason I have that was my question. Next, yeah. Yeah. How do yeah. you do that? So I'm figuring it out. So I'm, I'm adjusting, you know, I mean, it's, you just have to adjust the interval. So I either eat more when I'm eating or I have slightly fewer fasting days or maybe I'll start eating a little bit more carbs. I don't know. So I, I, I got to like at this point, the experimenting is I don't want to stop fasting because it feels great. Because so you enjoy the mental heart. Enjoy the fast, the fat, not just mental, like it's it's uh, it's physical, I have more energy. I work out more. My, rec- my physical recovery rate is much faster. So I, I, I joined a boxing gym. I box. My performance is better after like day six of zero calorie fasting than it is if I'm eating. So you're becoming athletic and you're becoming more yeah. sporty. I mean, still from, from nothing to a very low level. Uh, well, boxing. I didn't say I was good at it. <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, uh, I really enjoy it. So I don't want to stop doing it. I just need to figure out how to keep doing it without losing a lot more weight. Has your attitude towards food changed those days that you do eat and, and what you eat in terms of the enjoyment factor? Yeah. So what I eat hasn't changed too much because, and this is actually probably one of the reasons why it was easier for me than for a lot of people is I think I was already fairly fat adapted. Like I wasn't eating, a, I, I had stopped eating like sugar and like most like processed carbs a while ago. So I was already mostly off bread, mostly off pizza, pasta for a few years. I was eating, you know, vegetables and meat and fat already, more or less. I think that would have been an extra big adjustment. So I was already like partially off glucose. Um, So I haven't changed. That's still how I eat. My attitude has definitely changed. I think I enjoy food more. One of the most surprising things, and again, people think this must be torture, but it's not. It's fun. One of the most surprising things is I thought I would find it really hard to be around food and people eating when I was fasting. I thought that would be really hard. And it's really pleasant. Like I really enjoy being at a dinner and like sitting at the table and seeing the food and smelling it and passing food around and talking to people and just like not eating. It's really pleasant. I didn't think it would be. And in hindsight, you're like, well, why wouldn't it be like the food, the look of the food is pleasant and that's there. And the smell of the food is pleasant and that's there. So like, why would two pleasant things add up to something unpleasant just because I wasn't eating it. So it's actually great. I do that all the time. I go to meals and I'm, I'm probably more social than I was before. I'm paying attention to the people. I'm talking, I'm talking about the food. I'm looking at it. And and you really have no problem with being the only person at the table eating absolutely nothing. Not in San Francisco. It's fine. Right. Uh, Back to that one. And your, and your friends and family, whoever you're eating with, they accept it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I explain it. So again, here, everyone's weird in some way. So you just say like, Today, this is how I'm being weird. And everyone's like, oh, okay, great. And, you know, you talk about it and it's fine. It's totally fine. I don't do that everywhere. So if I'm like in Tokyo or in Paris and I'm, you know, having a good dinner with, you know, important investors at like a restaurant that they own, like that's not when I'm going to fast. I'm going to eat just because, A, it's going to be a great experience. So why wouldn't I eat? Uh, and B, like, yeah, I don't need to be like, I don't want to make that the, the, the center of the conversation. So. And do, do you find that people want to talk to you about it a lot? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it seems unusual. Uh, certainly people who'd known me before want to talk about it just because it's dramatic. I look just dramatically different. Like 
people don't recognize me. So yeah, uh, and then if people see me not eating, they want to talk about it. And I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy talking about it. I don't, I don't mind. Obviously, we're talking about it now. I don't. It's not. I don't necessarily seek that out, but sure. Have you become an evangelist for it? No, um, I just talk about my experiences when people ask, and definitely lots of people have started doing it after talking to me, which I'm, is not what I'm going for. Uh, but uh, I don't go out of my way to to evangelize. In fact, I've sort of. I've sort of resisted writing about it myself just because I don't think that's not really what I'm interested in doing. But I have I have talked about it, you know, a bit when people ask and, you know, this kind of thing. And, I mean, I mentioned at the start that Silicon Valley, you're not the only one doing this, as, as you've implied no, as well. No, this is the new thing. Silicon Valley has really embraced not just fasting diets, but the longevity issue, mm-hmm. which, which doesn't seem to be as uppermost in your mind as it is with some other people, that there is clearly a longevity component mm-hmm. to fasting. Potentially, the science is, is still evolving, but yep. there is some good, solid evidence that it may help extend our lives or help us yeah. uh, prevent diseases, cancer, diabetes, yeah. that kind of thing. Maybe extend our lives, maybe extend the healthy portion of our lives. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting research. Uh, that would be great. I just don't, like, I read about that stuff. Other, I, I know I know lots of people in San Francisco that are fasting, lots of CEOs and VCs and, and that kind of stuff. And it kind of breaks down into two groups of people. is like fat people, like I used to be, and skinny people. And like the skinny people are doing it for <laughs> longevity and the fat people are doing it to lose weight because it's a lot easier to measure. So I was very much in the category where I'm just seeing results every day. Uh, the longevity stuff is it's harder to pin down. So I, I hope it's true. It may or may not be. I know the science isn't conclusive. Do you think it's a, a shrewd investment and purely putting your businessman's hat on, a shrewd investment for Silicon Valley organizations to get involved in the science of longevity? I, I, maybe. Um, you know, Silicon Valley's got lots of problems. Uh, you know, the, the perception of, you know, self-importance and privilege is, is, is a big one. And largely that perception exists because there's so much self-importance and privilege. So, you know, focusing on living forever probably isn't helping with that. Uh, but having said that, if we can actually make a scalable version that helps people live longer, like, of course, that's the useful thing for the world. I'm not directly involved with it myself, but I know about a lot of the efforts. I talk to a lot of people. I generally think it's good. I'm not sure that there's any money at scale to be made from fasting because that's the whole point is you don't eat. That saves a lot of money. Uh, I'm donating all the money, all the money that I would have spent on food. I'm basically adding up, and at the end of the year, I'll donate it to a food charity, uh, just because I don't like the perception that like this is a privileged thing. I mean, it is, but I like the idea that you know the money that I would have spent eating, somebody else who actually needs the food can spend eating. Although it's difficult, I think, really seriously to make the claim about privilege and, and fasting, because as yeah. you say, it, it just involves burning things free. down. It's yeah, free. It's free. I mean, the constant like medical tests aren't free. (laughs) The stuff that I'm doing to measure myself, I'm spending a lot more, but I'm not doing that because of the fasting. I'm doing that because I'm a nerd and I just want all the data. So so what on an ongoing basis are you doing in terms of the the tests? Uh, So I just do, you know, blood panels every few months. uh, And then I do DexaFit every few months, which does the the full DEXA scans. That's the 3D like uh, body fat composition. Which is the most accurate you can get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, definitely it's accurate and there yeah. may be maybe other expense more expensive things that are more accurate but yeah and then uh, it also i also do the vo2 max which is like the the you know physical performance and the resting metabolic rate the rmr tests and then uh and have you improved in all of those areas yeah yeah all of them uh like significantly to to, to a point where like i like three years ago i was pre-diabetic so i remember my doctor saying three years ago 
look, you're lucky that like there's nothing actually seriously wrong with you, but like everything's going in the wrong direction. You know, within five years you'll have type two diabetes. Like it's just like that's how it's going to go. And um, now it, all of that stuff is like solidly in the green. Like it's not even borderline. It's like it's twenty years younger. And in terms of weight, like I looked, uh, I was curious. Uh, like when did I get fat? Because I don't remember. Um, so I asked my. You don't I, remember because you were so focused on work at the time. <laughs> Probably. Well, so I wasn't sure. So I asked my mom for like just pictures and like, can you, can you just like send me like pictures you have of me at like different ages and so i like put a timeline together and like i just like pictures of me when i was like eight years old and i was like this really skinny kid and like 10 years old as a skinny kid 15 i was skinny 16 i was skinny 17 i was skinny like 18 i'm fat so like got fat somewhere in high school i didn't really notice it but there's like a very clear time where somewhere between 18 19 i started getting fat and then i just got fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter so i haven't been this skinny since i was 17 years old i'm 45 now no, obviously other things have, you know, probably gone downhill, but for the most part, like, yeah, like I, I haven't, I'm not used to thinking of myself as a normal sized person. Sorry, because normal is the wrong word. Like I always thought of myself as, as very much an overweight person. And now I, and since I've been 17 years old, I used you know, I do a lot of international travel. I go to Japan a lot. I go everywhere a lot. And it's been decades since I've been able to walk into a store in Europe or in Japan and buy clothes. Like you just that doesn't happen. I couldn't at no point in Evernote could I like walk into a store in Japan. I've been to Japan for like a hundred times. I love it there. Can't walk into a store and buy clothes, even though there's like all sorts of things that look cool because there's just nothing that fits me. I have to go to like, I remember one time I actually actually buy like a suit because my luggage got lost. I actually had to buy clothes in Japan and that took a day and I had to like go to like a special, you know, place that had like clothes for basically sumo wrestlers. Did that bother you emotionally? I think so. I mean, I never made a big deal about it. You know, but it definitely didn't feel good. And the idea that now, like, I can I can walk into a store and I can buy clothes, that's great. That hasn't happened since I was in high school, since before I had money to buy clothes with. So that's nice. And I'm curious, as you, and I think we all change in terms of our attitude towards health and our own personal longevity as we get older. Mm -hmm. So where are you now? As, as you look ahead to your 50s and your 60s and your 70s, yeah. do you have certain personal aspirations, especially bearing in mind this experience, that you want to aim for? Yeah, I want to do a pull-up. Uh, and I'm really close. I think I might get there next week. So I've never in my life done a pull-up or a chin-up. But I did my first chin-up about a month ago. So, like, I remember never, ever, ever being able to do a chin-up. You know, I would try in school and never did it. Never came close. And this is a, a basic chin-up without the aid of a, yeah, 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 a yeah. rubber band just, or anything just, like that. Yeah, just dead hang. Just, you know, start from a hang and, and, and pull yourself up. It's so, harder than it looks, isn't it? I, well, I know lots of people could do, like, 20 in a minute. Yeah. I couldn't do any. And uh, <laughs> so I started working on it. About six months ago, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start start training. Like, my goal is to do a chin-up. My goal is to do a chin-up. Did my first chin-up of my life about, whatever, four or six weeks ago. Still couldn't do a pull-up. But I'm close. I'm like 90% to being able to do a pull-up. So I think, like, I think in two weeks I'll, like, actually do my first pull-up. I don't have I don't have longer-term plans than that. But but for the next two weeks, I have, a, I have a goal. So unlike some people, many people in this city, and you kind of refer to them, who have absolute definite goals about their own, I want to get to 100, I want to get to 110 or 20 because we think it's possible. Those sorts of ideas don't... I, no, I, I don't really think about... I, I get bored thinking about myself for too much. Like, I, I much prefer to think about 
other things in the world that I'm working on. So no, I have no, I have, I have plenty of goals for like what I want, what I want this company to accomplish, the impact that I'd like to have in the world. I, I don't, I don't have any like specific life goals for myself. I would like to live as long as possible, as long as I'm healthy. That seems great. I definitely feel much better about my health at this point than before. Uh, my mood is much better. Honestly, probably the biggest impact is mood. I'm just like, I won't necessarily say happier. I mean, I am happier, but really what happens is like, I feel much more resilient. Like in the past, something bad would happen, some, some unpleasant thing, you know, at work or personally or whatever. And I would be like, I would be like sad or angry for like, it would affect me for like weeks. And now like something just as serious happens and it's like, yeah, I get angry or I get sad for like 30 seconds. And then like 30 seconds later, I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like still, it's still like, it's fine. I never had that before. I never had that sort of like fast bounce back. And I think that maybe more than anything in, in, in like business is like what you need is to just not dwell on, on negative things for too much. So I'm happy about that. And I think that's going to have a big impact on the have, term. Have people close to you, friends, family noticed that and mentioned it to you that you've changed in terms of interacting with you? Well, people that are close to me probably notice the physical changes much more. And so those probably dwarf like other stuff. Actually, one physical, I think I mentioned it to start with, you no longer have a beard. Yeah. Actually, which you did for, for, for many years. Yeah. I mean, I had a what beard. What prompted that? Well, I, I mean, I only had a beard because, you know, I had like three chins. And so it was like, it was, I, I had a goatee for, yeah, 25 years because I just looked terrible without it. And so I, I remember like shaving it once when I was like 22 and being like, ah, <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> was there an element as a younger man of wanting to, to look older as some people do? And then as you get older, I'm curious, do you want, all of a sudden you want to look younger? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Probably because I was always like, I, when I was young, I was always like the youngest to do X. So, you know, like the youngest person in the company. And, I, and, and probably, yeah, probably when I was starting out, I was trying to look older. But also like at that point, I was already really overweight. So I was also just trying to like look better. And I just think I looked better with a goatee, which may I may have been totally wrong. I look at old pictures of myself and I'm like, wow, that was just not a good look. But certainly by the time I was in my 20s, like I would have shaved had I thought that, it, that I could have pulled it off. And so it, it took a while for me to actually be able to do that. Just coming full circle back to all turtles, which we started talking about. How did you get the name? What does it mean? Uh, it's a reference to Turtles All the Way Down, which is a, there's a Bertrand Russell story where, you know, Bertrand Russell is giving a lecture about the structure of the earth and the solar system and the universe. And after he's done, everyone, it's apocryphal, everyone applauds, but this one, uh, one old lady gets up, old lady, because every, every traditional story is horribly misogynist. So the classic version is one old lady gets up and says, everything you said is wrong because everyone knows that, uh, the earth is actually flat and it's resting on the back of a giant turtle. And he says, oh, but if that's true, madam, then what's the turtle resting on? And she says, oh, you're very clever, but you won't trap me that way. Everyone knows it's turtles all the way down. So that's the idea. It's turtles all the way down. You're always standing on the shoulders of uh, the people who have built things before you and you're supporting the, the generation of entrepreneurs that come after you. And you said it a second or so ago, you don't really have aspirations in terms of your own achievements in the future, but you do perhaps globally and professionally and with this company. What is the vision there? I think the biggest problem in the world is wasted potential. I think that uh, there are many brilliant people who don't get to express their brilliance in a way that actually impacts the world. And I think that Silicon Valley style of innovation, like basically the startup and VC startup and venture capital sort of model is really, really good at getting certain types of brilliant people in certain places, namely San Francisco. 
to have an impact on the world, but it just doesn't work for anyone else. And so I just want to, I want to build a platform or a platform or platform. I want it to be platforms all the way down where the most brilliant people everywhere in the world of every type get to express their brilliance in a way that makes products that, that affects the world. So that's, that's the goal is to have a hundred times more meaningful, important products in the world being made by people who don't usually get to make them right now. And how do people get access to this platform? Uh, I don't know yet. So we're starting with, with 11 uh, companies here. Uh, and those are all just people that I've known for a while and worked with. And now we're opening in Tokyo and, and Paris uh, soon, the next few months. And then we'll have to have some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of way for people to apply and get in. And we're just figuring all that stuff out as, as, as we go. So we're, we're building the structure as we go. But yeah, but the idea is uh, people that are in love with a particular problem, um, that see a hole in the world in the shape of their idea, and want to spend the rest of their lives like solving an important problem and have some plausible ideas about how to do it. I want to work with those people and uh, make those things happen. And but, a big a big part of this is the personal challenge. You, you've had tremendous amount of success with Evernote and you've moved on and you do you want to try to recreate that level of success? Well, I definitely think this should be much bigger than Evernote ever got to. You know, Evernote we had very high ambitions for, it and I think uh, I think it's a great company. I think it's going to continue to 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 impact the world in a good way uh, and have a very good outcome. But that's you know, Evernote is one product or one family of products. I really think this this is a way to build you know the next ten thousand really great products. So hopefully a lot bigger than than Evernote. And is there a, a great product or two or three that comes to mind that you really feel passionately about? Well, there's many, but uh, our idea. The, the, the whole idea here is we want to work on important products and they don't, we don't need to ask the question of like, could each one be a $10 billion company? That filter of only working on things that could be really huge, that's the Silicon Valley filter that I think causes a lot of problems. So we want to, we want to build things that are important and maybe they're $10 billion and maybe they're $100 million or maybe they're $5 million. Like that shouldn't really matter. We should find a way to build things at scale that, that solve important problems. And uh, I think we have a model that, that lets us do that. Well, Phil, I, I wish you all the best with this venture. Thank and, you. And with the fasting, we'll watch with interest to see uh, what happens with that. And I, I'm still, I think like so many people, still really trying to figure out fasting in terms of the best regime. I guess we're all different and the same thing isn't always going to work for, for each of us. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to figure it out too. The one thing I've learned for myself, again, purely personal subjective experience is um, when I'm not eating, the easiest thing to do is just to not eat. And as soon as I eat anything, uh, it becomes much harder. So anything that involves eating a little bit of calories a day for me is like much harder to pull off than just going for, you know, three, five, eight days of nothing and then eating normally. So that's kind of what I'm drawn to is when I'm fasting, I don't eat. When I'm eating, I eat. And there's no in-between. The, the pure version is much easier for me. But I totally understand that it may not be so for, for anyone else. Fascinating. Phil Libin, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Great to see you. And that is it for this episode. Uh, a quick reminder, there are lots of ways to listen to the podcast, uh, as well as our website, llamapodcast.com. There's iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play Music. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Llama Podcast from San Francisco. Many thanks for listening.
Flexbeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rud. Whenever you put the Flexbeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. Flexbeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a Flexbeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.